Would you open your Bibles tonight to the book of Deuteronomy to begin with? I can't think of very many better places in the Bible to go than Deuteronomy chapter 28, but we're only going to start there tonight. And the title of my message tonight, The Diligence Test. All of you that have been to school know what a test is. If you've been a Christian very long, you've been taught about what a test of your faith is. It's when it's put to the test, you get to find out what you know, find out who you are, find out what you got. You're being tested. In this way, the Bible teaches God proves us by these tests. So I want to give you something to think about tonight, something you can take home with you tonight and carry around with you in your mind. And I hope that it stimulates your thinking so that you have on your mind and heart this question that we want to ask tonight about the diligence test. Are you diligent? That's what it'll be about. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1. And it shall come to pass. This will happen if. Does your Bible say it that way? This is what will happen if. Now, it rarely ever happens. What you're reading in Deuteronomy 28, the first several verses, 15 verses, rarely happens in the church. Rarely happens with Christians. It does happen, but it doesn't happen very often. It's supposed to happen. It can happen. God has assigned it to us to happen, but it very seldom happens. And so we're used to hearing it without expecting it to work. It's kind of like church night or a Bible sermon or something. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to say. That's what we're supposed to hear, and we're supposed to nod in agreement. But little of that does any good. That does no good at all if it's not working for you. If what God is saying in his word isn't becoming the, the desire of our life, the goal of our life, and the experience of our life, then, then we're not benefiting from this word. And I think you should know after all these years that God gave us this word that by it we may profit, do better, become something different than what we were when he saved us. We grow by the application of this word. Amen? So he begins this wonderful chapter the first part of it's wonderful. The last part's about curses. But the first part, the blessing part, he begins by saying, and it shall come to pass if. So now it does become personal. Now you're going to have to see if you're going to meet the condition here for whatever is following, whether or not it's going to work for you or if it is working for you or if it's going to work for you. He said, it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe to do most of his commandments. No, I'm sorry, that says all. To observe to do all of his commandments which I command you this day. That's just two things that the Lord God will do and then, oh, it just gets so good down through here. Two things. It shall come to pass in your life sitting here tonight or you out there watching. This is what you can expect to happen in your life if. Now, again, it doesn't happen much from what I've observed in my life, but that doesn't mean it's not supposed to happen or that it doesn't happen because it shall come to pass if you personally will make this moral and ethical decision that if you will personally, diligently hearken and observe to do. And that's what he said. You do those things and you can read down through here. All these blessings in verse 2 shall come upon you and overtake you. That's why I said earlier that this doesn't work for very many Christians because I haven't seen this work. I've experienced it myself, but I haven't seen it in a lot of people that have been taught this. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if, if you'll just hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. And not just hearken, but diligently hearken. You've got to add that to it. That's verse 1. Blessed you'll be in the city, the field. Blessed when you're in or you're out. Blessed you'll be your body, your gardens, your, your food. Your, you'll be blessed, your basket and your store. Verse 6, you'll be blessed when you go out and come in. The Lord will cause your enemies that rise up against you to flee. I would include the devil in that crowd. In verse 18, the Lord shall command the blessing upon you. Notice. God gets involved now because you made a good decision and you follow it up with diligence. God makes a, a decision too. He will command the blessing upon you in your house and all that you put your hand to. 
Now, there it is. I mean, that's what your Bible says. That's what we're reading tonight. And not only that, but the goal of the church to grow up into Christ, the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. He includes that in, in verse 9. He will establish you as a holy people unto himself. And he says, and all the people of the earth shall see that you're called by the name of the Lord. In verse 11, if you don't mind, I, can, I like to read that one too. And the Lord shall make you plenteous in goods. And half the books in the Christian bookstore preach against that. Because if you say something about being plenteous in goods, then somehow or another you got an angle and you're trying to get something from people and you're trying to connive. Well, I know that happens, but whether it happens or not, this is still the truth. He will make you, God commands a blessing upon you, and he will make you plenteous in goods in the ways he shows you there. In verse 12, he'll open his good treasure and he'll bless all the work of your hands. I don't know anybody whose work doesn't involve the use of their hands, but he said he will particularly bless you. Your work will stand out. People will take note of you, the kind of work that you do. And it all goes back, it all goes back to verse 1. If you will diligently hearken and observe to do. Obviously, diligence in both of those. So we want to examine ourselves tonight. The Bible teaches that in 2 Corinthians 13 and and verse 5, that we as Christians are to examine ourselves, not once in a while, but I think as we hear the word, we look at ourselves because it is a mirror. And you look in the mirror of the word and you see reflected back to you what God says. And then you see whether or not you're measuring up to that or whether you really have a heart to observe, to do that, whether you have a heart to act like that, live like that in light of this wicked world, are you really willing to do that? Because if you are really willing to do that, then it's diligence that will bring it about because you'll press in. You will press in and faint not. But if you just let things slide, you just sort of take for granted, you know, I'm a Christian. I've had a Christian experience and therefore, you know, I'm going to heaven and, you know, whatever is whatever. I'm not so sure you're going to enjoy the blessings of God in your life. Because God has specifically said, at least to us tonight, we'll never get away from this throughout eternity because he'll tell us tonight that here's the condition for God to move into your life and make a difference with you in this world and make things for you the way they should be. He said, if you will diligently, and then he begins to mention things. So you examine yourself. How diligent am I? You're never more honest with yourself. Your conscience is brutal. Your conscience never lies to you. Now, you can sear it by lying about it and lying to other people, but, but your conscience never lies. If you were going 70 miles an hour in a 50-mile-an-hour zone, you got pulled over. I mean, how fast were you going? Well, your conscience yells 70. But you know if you do it that way, it's going to cost you. You made the mistake, but it's going to cost you. And so instead of owning up your mistake and admitting the truth, you, you know, you make some kind of a little story up. Well, you know, I just wasn't paying up. To yes, you were. Yes, you know how fast you were going. You're a lying dog now. You think, well, I don't want to be a liar because liars don't go to heaven. I can't get out of this either. I made a mistake, made a bad choice. I got caught. Now I'm going to lie and get two bad choices. There's no diligence in that. If you want to do it God's way, you press in. You press in and you fight because there's a real resistance out there. Somebody out there really doesn't want you to do this. So you ask yourself the question, how diligent am I? If you say, if, if your honest conscience says, will not vary. Your mind has got so many other things that replace God. You're so busy with more things than, than the Lord's way. So the second question, well, then I'm examining myself. Well, then why am I not diligent? Why am I not diligent? Have I become negative because I'm not diligent? Because let's face it, if you're really pursuing God, if you're seeking first, if you're really inclining your heart to hear and all the things that we've read in hundreds and hundreds of verses, all the time you're in pursuit of something that God has set before you as a prize to be seized, you're in a positive mode. You're thinking right. You're thinking good. You're seeing things God's way. When you get away from that, when you begin to take a church night for granted, a church morning, an evening night, whatever, just a meeting for granted, when you go because it's a routine, a ritual, a duty, 
then it's not really having any effect upon you because there's no, there's no pursuit there. And you find yourself getting negative like the world. You'll listen to some of these talk shows and where the, like the political talk shows are negative all the time. The only reason some people listen to them is because they make something humorous out of them being negative. But you become negative yourself because you find yourself repeating what they said and you begin choosing sides and taking sides even though God says you're not supposed to do that. You're not to learn the ways of the world. And yet we listen to it and we get that way. And we just don't let the word of God rule in our lives and we get negative. It happens all the time. It happens far too much. You could ask yourself in this examination, am I less than what God has promised because I'm not diligent? Am I drawing back to something less than what God has promised because what I've got is more than what I used to have and more than what most people have and therefore this is good enough that I desire no more that God has for me? I mean, lack of diligence can do that. It sure can. What kind of changes in my life am I really willing to make in order to be diligent if I, in honest evaluation of myself, realize that, you know, I'm not diligent. I'm a Christian. I'm not a bad person. I don't drink, smoke, do dope, and run around and misbehave. I don't do that, but I'm not diligent. You might say that. God is not in all your thoughts. He's not a part of your daily life. There's not a time in your life in which you read the Bible and you search the scriptures or you meditate and so forth. You sort of let that go. See, I'm asking you tonight because we have a wonderful promise that's not being fulfilled by way too many people in the church. God said, if, I didn't write it, but he said, it shall come to pass if. You will diligently hearken. That means to listen with purpose. Listen with purpose. I am here to learn. I am here to understand. And once I understand, diligence brought me that far, but it has to go a step further. I am here to put to practice. I am here to live like this. I can't live the way I'm supposed to live unless somebody teaches me how. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, so that I may what? Walk in thy truth. I can't walk in truth if I don't have truth. Somebody show me the truth. But nobody, listen to me, all of you, nobody can teach you the truth if you really aren't interested in it. You can hear it all you want to, but you're learning nothing ever learning and never getting there. This is laying in our lap and, and it's not working for us because the word diligent, I think, is the key word. We're not pressing in. We're not in pursuit of something that is so valuable to us that I have got to have it. It is like the pearl of great price. It is a treasure hidden in the field. This is my goal in life and my pursuit. It doesn't keep me from having fun, going places and doing things and, and having picnics. It just means that a part of my day or, or my day centers around a way of life that is God is teaching me, the way I've been taught, the way he's teaching me. And my conscience aids me and assists me in checkmating my bad when I want to do something wrong, say something wrong, it, it checks you. This way you stay in pursuit and you don't let things slip, you don't let things slide. So let's begin the night with this. First of all, what does it mean to be diligent? What is diligence? In the Old Testament and the New Testament word, the English word, they're all very, very similar. They mean basically all of them the same thing. The Webster's Dictionary, which is just the English dictionary, means constant and earnest effort to accomplish what was undertaken. That's what diligence is in the English dictionary. Constant and earnest effort. I'm really trying. This is on my mind. I really want to learn this. I really want to do this. I really want to live this way. God has given no shortcut. There are no shortcuts to his way of life. There are no options to his way. It is an either or. There's no middle ground. Either or. Up or down. Left or right. East or west. It's just one or the other. 
I really want this because I am smart enough to know that at the end of this book, there are going to be people who don't make it. Now, I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to spin my wheels like Paul said. I don't want to preach all my life and put your heart and soul in something for 40-some years and then be a castaway at the end of it. I want to make sure there was a purpose for me living the right way. There was a reason for striving to enter in this narrow gate. There was a reason for pressing in and not fainting and, and going on when you didn't think you could go on. And all of those things that drive a man forward and never draws back to the status quo. He's always pursuing spiritual excellence, always after it. Diligence does that. That's what a diligent man does. He is earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. In the Old Testament, like I said, similar to the new, I would just call it honest effort, sincere effort. You are really trying to do right. You make no excuses for when you mess up, you repent, you get back right. You know you shouldn't have done that. Your conscience bears witness to it. You're honestly trying to seek. You're here tonight because you sincerely want to know more about what's right. You are dealing with yourself because sometimes you are so weak and you give in so easy. And you know that's not good because others watching you thinking, well, if that's all right, then maybe I can do that. And we're always being challenged to do our very best. Diligence is what makes you do your best. Diligence is that wonderful thing inside of a person who challenges, presses, pushes, and motivates him to do right, to do things God's way. That's what it is. While you're in Deuteronomy here, go back to chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just follow me for a few verses through this book. I want to show you just some things that it says about diligence. Verse 9. If you want things to work well for you, he said, even though you're God's people, this is what he says to his people. He said, only take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, lest you read it, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of, from your life. But take heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently and teach these things to your children. There's a reason God is opening your ears to hear what you hear. Amen? There's a reason that you have come this far, even though you've drugged your feet a lot, there's a reason you're still with it. And you haven't departed. A lot of people have. There's a reason. Part of it is that he that started the good work is going to finish it. Amen? That ought to help you. And look at chapter 6 and verse 7. Let me get verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. If they're not, nothing else will work anyway. And when they are, you shall teach them diligently unto your children. I would imagine that in the church there are many fathers who have never taught their children the word of God. Never. They've never sat down and explained spiritual things to their sons or daughters. Never. You think of it. This is one of the conditions that brings the blessing of God and that covering and keeping of our lives. He said, you put these words in your heart. And when these words get in your heart, you teach them to your children. Didn't he say that? Not only that, but he said, you diligently teach them. You make it a goal. There's a purpose in you doing this. God gave you children to be godly seed. He wants them to be citizens of his kingdom. And he lays it up, especially on the hearts of fathers. You teach them diligently unto your children. You talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. My dad never, of course he was a Catholic, but my dad never mentioned the way of God to me in my life. I don't think he ever did. I don't remember ever hearing my father ever talking to me about God about the way of life, the way I should live. He could tell me that I was a Catholic because I was baptized as a little Catholic boy and that I'll always be a Catholic, and I rebuked that. But he had no influence in my life spiritually. And I wonder how many children have never been influenced 
by the faith of their father. Because the father's faith might have been in the fact that if I take my kids to church, then my kids can get right. We need in our church to hire us a youth director and we need a big youth plan so I can take my children there and they can get right. That's not the way God said get children right. You know where the youth camp is? You know where the youth meeting is at home? You know who the youth leader is, dad? Don't shut me down yet. We're not done. We're on our way. It's a good time for all of us. See, my time has passed with being raising children. I can influence grandchildren. I think that's one of the reasons that children have grandfathers is so they can pick up where maybe those things have been let slack. Anyway, God wants us to know that if you want what he promises, you'll have to do it his way. Now, you'll never be diligent in pursuing that until you see the great need. Wouldn't it be nice for your children to grow up and say, I want to serve God like my parents? I learned from my parents the value of my faith and of overcoming and of loving people. That they made it a point to teach us when we're driving in the car, going on vacations and trips and pointing out things. And we'd hear somebody say something and dad always had a little sermon right there for that. Wouldn't it be good if you were like a priest in your home? You brought your family to God and like a prophet, you brought God to your family. Wouldn't it be nice if your children grew up recognizing and respecting and honoring father in the home. But he said, you do this when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you stand up and so forth. Verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. Now he says this over and over because this is the key. It's not hear the Bible. It's not go to the meetings, be faithful in attendance. It includes that, obviously. But you can do all of that and not be diligent in making application. Are you with me? All right. Then in chapter 11, in verse 13, and it shall come to pass, here we are again, and it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then he begins to list the things that he'll give you. He just gives these things to you. They are a natural part of your life. Your neighbors say, how is it that you're always blessed like this? How is it that things always go well for you? They're supposed to. We don't boast of it. We didn't do it. God said, this is the way you do this and I'll do that. And you do this and he does that. And people take note of it. That's a part of testimony. It's a part of a light shining. It's part of living in this earth like a city on a hill that you're making application of God's promises and he blesses you and people are watching. It's a testimony. And then in the same chapter, verse 22, for if you shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, you to love the Lord and so forth, then the Lord will, and he tells you all the things that he'll do. It's just like everything you need and everything you really want to see happen, I'm giving you the promise, but I'm holding you to the condition. If you want it, here's the way you get it. Your father's glad to give it to you. And then we saw in our text tonight, Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1. The word diligent in the Hebrew simply means to wet or to sharpen. And the picture you get is like the Ten Commandments. An engraver takes an engraving tool and engraves things in stone or statues and things. And this is what God did with his finger on these Ten Commandments when Moses second time brought the tablets up there and God wrote on these Ten Commandments his word to us. And the picture you see there is that if a man is diligent... And he really inclines after God and seeks his kingdom that God will write these commandments on his heart. As the Bible several times says, and on the fleshly tables of his heart, 2 Corinthians 3, that he will put this word on his heart. And you'll live God inside minded or word inside minded. Your word will be like a weapon. It's a sword that the spirit of God will prompt you to use. 
You hide the word in your heart, you become a soldier of the cross. You become a warrior. You become one mighty in battle because the word is the weapon that gets it done. In 2 Peter chapter 3, you don't have to go there, but it says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Would you turn to that for just a moment? In 2 Peter 3, I want to point out something. 2 Peter 3 and verse 14. There are three things that God says to people who have been taught that Jesus is coming back. Now, you all have heard from time to time bits and pieces or more something maybe more in-depth about the Lord's coming. How many of you know that God holds us to living in a certain way when he comes back? If you're saved, he holds you to making progress in your life to where you become like what he wants. For example, here... He says three things that when Jesus returns that he will look for in his people. Chapter 3 and verse 14, 2 Peter. He said, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, notice, be diligent. There's that word again. Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace. And the word is used many, many times. It's interesting that the word also has to do with how people get along with each other. Without agitation, without conflict. It's getting along, being at peace with one another. You better learn to get along now because when you get to heaven, if you don't, there's no machine up there that can run you through to make you get along. You have to get along now. God puts people beside you, the iron sharpens iron. You've got to learn to forgive, pray for, and love people just as God has loved you. And God said, now when I come, you want to be found like this. I want to find you in peace. And without spot, secondly, without a blemish. You know, like the sacrificial animals on the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. A man couldn't just go out in his flock and get an animal out of there and say, well, you got to sacrifice this sheep or something and take it out there and then kill it. They had to examine it. It had to be perfect. I mean, it had to be without spot, blemish, or any such thing, just like we're supposed to be. We're not allowed to hold back any area of our life as a little pet problem. Everything has to submit itself to God. I mean, we're not allowed to, well, I, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I just can't. No, sir, that's not an attitude you're allowed to have. And if you're diligent, if you'll press in, if you'll grab yourself by the back of your head and say, you're going to do this or I'll put you in a cold shower. When you begin to deal with your life as looks, this is a meaningful, necessary, vital, and important thing for me to do. I'm not willing to do it. And I'll never get it done unless I'm diligent to do this. So being without spot means that you start dealing with stuff in your life that's not clean. It could be a lot of things. A lot of uncleanness in this world. You know what I'm talking about. And the world is dreadfully full of it. And we're getting used to it. And these things become like little spots and little things you tolerate. They come into your life and you tend to want to watch some of this stuff and think about it and look two or three times. Wow, look at her. And these little things become like little spirits. They begin to tantalize your mind and tempt you. And then once they gain a little foothold, it becomes a spot or a blemish between you and God. You can't even allow yourself that. Without spot, without blemish, and blameless. It's like that lamb, not a blemished spot, perfectly clean. That's the way God wants us to be. So, having looked at diligence for just a moment, let me ask you a question. Who then is really trying to give an honest effort at living the way God wants. I didn't say who was a bad man and who was a nice person. I just said who is really trying 24 hours a day, who is 24 hours a day conscious of who they are and the call to live the way he wants. Who amongst us is like that? Now, it better be all of us. But we're here to learn and we're here to be convicted and we're here to deal with our lives and, and to hear what God wants. So let me ask you a few questions that we'll deal with. One, how diligent am I? 
I'm going to ask this question myself. You can ask yourself. How diligent, how diligent am I? How badly do I want what is promised and what is desired? God may promise me plenteous and goods. Well, I want that. He may also want you to be holy in all your behavior. Holy is that without spot and blameless stuff again. I mean, living above reproach so that nobody who points a finger at you can find a just cause for accusing you because you're living above it. Is that possible? See, somebody's told us in our life that's not possible so we can excuse ourselves when we don't deal right. Well, nobody's perfect, so, so that's a license to sin? That's a license to blow your stack and throw a fit? And act ugly or go to places you shouldn't go or wear some of that nasty clothes you wear? Is that a license? No. You can admit your weakness all day long. Well, I know I'm not. I know I should. I know I should do better. I know I'm not. Well, that doesn't mean you're diligent. That just means you recognize you're not. Are you going to do something about it or just submit yourself to the fact that, well, I know I'm not perfect like everybody else? Preachers say, well, you're not perfect. You can't do all those things. Nobody's perfect. Yet Jesus said more than once, go and somebody help me, sin no more. Why today they throw their hands up, they'd be on TV, talk shows, there'd be all kinds of slurs. Sin no more, who does he think he is? Nobody can live in this world without sin. Yet Jesus said, go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. I suppose that other thing that came upon her was because of sin. And he healed her and said, don't do that no more. Stop doing that. Because if you do, something worse will happen to you. You think that would make you diligent? Wouldn't me. I just can't stop smoking my old cigarettes. What if the next one you smoke would give you lung cancer? Would you smoke it? Well, I just can't stop eating these old strawberries. Well, what if the next one you ate gave you hives? Would you eat the thing? No. There's something in all of us that is bigger than your weakness. There's something in every one of us here tonight that is bigger than our weaknesses, and it's the reality that God is able. Now, whether or not you turn to him and seek after that, I don't know. But that's the reality. Go to Proverbs 10. How diligent am I? Well, let me ask you a question, Ed. What makes a man, a Christian man, successful? What does a Christian man base his success on? Is it luck? Well, we hear it all the time. Well, I was in the right place at the right time. Friends, you've been in the wrong place at the right time. You've been in the right place at the wrong. It's nothing to do with luck. It's nothing to do with anything except the plan that God has for your life and what he will do for you if you will meet the conditions of that plan. I don't know how you hear the word. I don't know what you do with when you hear it. I think some people forget it by 930 at night, maybe 10 o'clock. But somebody will remember it. And those who remember it will have that activity of the Holy Spirit working on your mind, making you think about it, making you deal with it. When you have an honest heart, you don't let things slide. You know that God has taken records, he's taken notes, and you have got to get this down. You've got to deal with this. You've got to do that. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. What does that mean? Lazy. He becomes poor, that's lazy. But he goes on to say, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He's industrious, not afraid to work. A lot of people used to work until they invented video games. Now they work hard at that too, but they got muscular thumbs because they, you know, they're running through there and making all them faces and I've seen, I don't want to get into it anymore and I already have, but some of the stuff that kids are playing today is tormenting their minds. I've even heard of kids committing suicide. Now you tell me there's not a demon behind that stuff? 
the work of a devil trying to corrupt minds of young people. You begin to play like you're somebody else. It becomes an obsession. You got to do this. Just like people on drugs. They can't function without that feeling. Or there's people who can't function without this experience. And so instead of working and learning how to develop good social skills and getting out there working with somebody that knows how to greet people and somebody who knows how to make money and somebody who knows how to work and not afraid to get up and go to work instead of aligning yourself with somebody like that and learning how God blesses them they just sort of sit around and let you know I don't know know, and they don't try going for an interview yes sir would you really like to work for us uh-huh yeah why do you want to work here I don't know Broke. Would you hire them? I wouldn't. I would say, thank you, we'll call you. You got your number somewhere? No, you didn't put the well, thank you, we'll. I don't want somebody to look me right in the eyes and say, yeah, I would like to work here. I'd do you a good job. Because as a Christian, I would work for you as though you were the Lord and I'd do the job for you as I would do for him. That's what I'm called to do. And I wouldn't tell him all that because that might scare him too. But I would have that in my heart. Yes, sir, I'm looking for a job. I'm not sure how good a job I can do yet. I've never done this, but I'm willing to try. I don't know how many people today could put a sentence together like that. But that's what a lot of people who are employers are looking for, somebody who wants to work. They're diligent. They get there before their job starts. One guy whom I'd term as successful told me once he had a business. He was the first one on the job and the last one to leave. And I have noticed through the years and where I'm perched and watching, I just seen him blessed at whatever he does, just like he says here. Well, it says in that verse, he's diligent. The hand of the diligent man maketh rich. The modern King James Version, that sounds good, doesn't the modern version. But listen to this, he said, he who deals with a lazy hand becomes poor, but the hand of the hard worker makes rich. Having lived in the country for a few years and now living in the country but isolated from the ways of it, I remember meeting other men who owned land, farmers, when they used to put up tobacco. Hard work. I never did that and I wouldn't do it, but that was just a, that was hard labor, I thought. And I remember the men who were raised tobacco would always look for people to work for them. And I remember one man told me once, it's harder and harder to find somebody who wants to work. They all want to get paid, but they don't want to work. And when you give them something to do, it's kind of, you know. Now, this is what I'm talking about spiritually. When you're loping around spiritually and you're not putting to practice, you're not motivated by God and his promises, and you're just drifting along, you're not diligent. You can't be blessed. Your Bible says it. Look in chapter 12. It says in verse 24, the hand of the diligent man shall bear rule. He's going to be a leader. Now, I don't know where the women fit in all that. It says it's in a masculine gender there, man. Praise the Lord. In Proverbs 13, verse 4, the soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing. He complains and moans about, I don't have a job. I can't. Well, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. See, you get to be fat. (laughs) Fat is a word meaning abundance. You know that. And then all the way back in Proverbs 21 and verse 5, one step further, the thoughts of the diligent Tend only to plenteousness. Does your Bible say that? 21 in verse 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. Would that mean that a diligent man is thinking his way through life of how he can do a better job? Make better of himself? Increase his whatever by hard work? Watch people that work hard. Watch people that are successful. Do what they do. Follow them around a little bit. Ask them if you can hang around and live. They don't want you to, but hang around anyway. Just press in. 
What is it about you that God blesses you? What is it about this young man or this young lady that what they do, I mean, it, it, they're never without work. They're always blessed because they're diligent. I've hired people in our church here to work for me and build things for me and never, to this day, never had a bad job done. Just very careful and very diligent. Everything was done right. And you have a lot of confidence in hiring people like that, trusting people like that to work with you. That's why they get calls to do a job. It's because God blesses them. They're not sitting around complaining about, well, they don't do that. There's work out there. You have to find it. And when you find it, you got to make sure you do a better job than anybody else. You're not trying to beat people. It's not competitive like that. You're just trying to make sure that I'm doing this as unto the Lord and somebody's going to notice that I'm working hard at this. I think one of the reasons in the Hispanic community that a lot of people like these Hispanic groups to work for them is because they work so hard. Now, what they're saying, I don't know because I can't understand them, but I know they work very hard. They just seem to be very diligent. It seemed to be. And that's why they get the eye of a lot of people. Well, they'll come and do it. They won't complain because if they did, you wouldn't know what they were saying. They just seem to get up in the morning, get there on time. They get a job done. It's never too hard, never too far, too hot, too cold, too slow, too young, too old. They just get the job done. They're diligent. Proverbs talks about that. These are the kind of people that God says will be blessed. Well, in light of that, what do you do with verses like seek first the kingdom? You know, are we diligent like to seek first the kingdom or if you will diligently hearken and listen and pay attention, be attentive to what God is saying? Not let the word slip as you hear it. I'll let it pass you by. The words like striving to enter in at that narrow gate. You know, you have to really work at that. The easiest thing we will ever do in this life, any of us and all of us, the easiest thing we will ever do is quit. It takes no effort to quit. You do nothing to quit. You just back off. You give way to the person who wants to take your place and you, so you just let him go. And then another one come along, there's nothing to it. Then one day you'd like to get married or something, you can't afford to get married, you're broke, you came to take care of yourself, let alone a wife. You've saved no money. You haven't been diligent. You're not thinking ahead. You're not looking at things from the, in the bigger picture. Listen, you seek first the kingdom of God, but how many of you know you still live in this world? We are to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We're not trying to take advantage of anybody here. We're just trying to take advantage of opportunities when they come and do our job. When you're diligent, you read the Bible. I don't know if you have a little time in your busy life to read. And then once you read, to meditate or ponder or stirring up yourself to think of what you just read. What is the Lord saying to me about this? Sometimes he does or memorizing the word. What a wonderful way to, to have a fertile mind is to make yourself memorize things. Memorize all the books of the Bible from front to back and then go from the back to the front and then start in the middle and go one way, this, then this way, this one, this way, this way, this way and just little mental things you do. That's better than listening to Rush Limbaugh or Lush Rimbaugh, whatever, whoever. I would rather memorize the, the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, who they were and their names, even where they were on the map in the north and the south and all those that are in between. There's nothing wrong with that. That may not benefit you. It's just something that you just want to acclimate or acquaint yourself with the Lord and his word and everything he said has purpose. God never sent any word, not even the begats, 
without some purpose in it. He said, my word that I have sent forth shall not return unto me empty. So it doesn't go out empty. It's not an aimless, empty word. It has purpose. It does something. And when you let it do something in you, then he says, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall, but it shall, but it shall. So you get your mind in this groove, in this way of thinking. When the Holy Spirit begins to direct your thoughts, you begin thinking about what is lovely and what is good and what is it. You begin thinking all differently. Your day comes out differently. Your activities are different. Everything changes because, well, just your effort, your honest effort at learning and striving and doing and all those things. Like praying. How about praying? Men ought always to pray, Jesus said. A moment every morning, a moment at noon or a moment in the evening, at least some part of your busy day can be set aside to read a chapter in the Bible. I like to do that every morning when, uh, on Wednesdays I don't eat, but every other morning, maybe not Sunday morning, because I do that here, but I like to read one chapter. Right now, I'm up to 1 Samuel. Of course, I'm getting ready to go to Israel, so I'm trying to memorize and learn what these places are and what happened there. And so when I go there, I don't want to be smarty pants, but I just like to know when I get there, best I can remember what happened there. It doesn't make me diligent. It just, it's interesting. There's nothing wrong with being interested, is it? Amen. But anyway, we do all these things. We pray. We read. We reflect. We think. We drive down the road. Turn the radio off every now and then. The talk show doesn't minister a whole lot of grace to you. Just turn it off. I'll tell you one thing. Just turn it off. Well, I'd shoot everyone. Turn it off. Just Mine has a little button. You just do like that. That's all you got to do. Of course, it's Chevrolet. You don't have to do nothing to you. Just barely touch it. Off it goes. Diligence is something you have to make application of yourself. God doesn't say, because I have saved you, you're automatically diligent. He says, you must be diligent. You must draw nigh to God before God draws nigh to you. Did he say that? You forsake him? He told the king, you seek him, you'll find him. If you turn from him, he'll turn from you. All right. Second thing here, what is it then that holds me back? If I'm not being diligent and I'm not doing all these things, my life doesn't have a routine of spiritual food in it, then what's keeping me from it? Why am I not diligent? What's holding me back? Is it my home life? I'll say this about moms raising children, having little children. That would be tough. It's tough to come and listen to a whole sermon when you got little kids, especially if one of them is crying or fidgeting or you're training them to sit still and be still. And, and when you go home, you not only had to fix supper today and clean the house, but you also had to put these kids to bed. If they wake up in the night, you have to go get... Moms are pretty durable creatures. And sometimes I suppose they could say, well, there's a lot of things I'd like to do, but I can't because I'm so busy with this. And I would agree that you're really busy, but I would say that God will give us all. At some point, you could get a lot of women who've raised a lot of children tell you that sometimes when they're rocking their kids to sleep, they're just quoting the Bible to a child, putting them to bed, laying hands on their pillows and quoting the scriptures. How'd you learn all of that? I've been reading the Bible and I've been listening to what's been taught. And I realize that I have the authority to do this as a Christian and as a mother. And you pray for your food in the kitchen and you pray for your shopping. And it's just a lot of things that you can do. But sometimes you get so routined at home that, you know, kids grow up. They get involved in sports. And mine did. Yours most probably a lot of them did. And you get busy. And instead of the routines you used to have when things weren't like that, you find yourself spending more of your best time and energy doing other things. You come home at night, you're tired. Or you come in here and you had a hard day and it's just too hard to listen. Now, I don't believe that. Hello. I believe that the Spirit of God is greater than our physical weakness. 
And that if you come in here with a desire to listen, the devil can't keep you from hearing. You can keep yourself from hearing because you can convince yourself, oh, I'm just not ready for that. Or I just can't do that. I just, I'm just tired and weary. I just can't do that. Yes, you can. Quit giving yourself that excuse. Quit making that excuse for yourself. You tell yourself that you're going to do what you're supposed to do while you're here, and that's listen, and you're going to pay attention. Sometimes we get, as we grow older, we've learned how to make application of the word. We become more successful. We have more than we had. We've got more money and more opportunities and more vacations and more things to buy and places to go and people to see than we had before. And kids are this and kids are that. And, and we hardly ever eat a meal together anymore because somebody's gone. You know, the meal was the time the family met and talked. That was the time where we had our family hour. We didn't have to set up one, and we just had it at the mealtime. Now we can't because not everybody can be there together. They've got a school activity or something is going on, and we just can't get together. If you want to write me a note, you can put it in that box back there, but I'm going to hold on to what I'm saying here because I think that we all can do better. You might as well say amen because it's true. You can say amen or old mate, but it's true. How diligent do I want to be? What's holding me back? Maybe it's just simply this. Maybe I'm not as diligent as I should be because I'm just not interested. I know better. I know right. I agree with you. I'm not here to fight you. I'm not here to disagree with you, preacher. And all. I know all that. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But my life has become so involved with so much i tell you the truth i really have lost what i had 20 years ago and the whooping and the hollering and i don't think is there now well you remember 20 years ago when you whooped and hollered how you look forward to whooping and hollering you don't remember that well some of us can you went to the meeting knowing you were going to whoop and holler I mean praise and worship. You know what I mean. Whoop and holler is Kentucky colloquial for, for praise. Nothing could keep us from it. Prayed before we got here. Kids took a nap after school so they wouldn't be in so much trouble at school. Whatever you had to do, because we're going to church tonight. We're going to church tonight. Of course, it was easy to preach then. It was really easy because everybody wanted to hear it. Everybody came to listen. And it was easy. You could feed off of that good anointing, and it was, oh, man, we were just diligent to do that. And so one of the things that I'm thinking of in making up this message tonight is, where is that diligence we used to have? Where's the diligence you used to have? That inspired manner of life, of effort and energy that you once had. Because I think if I said, how many of you find yourself dragging to church and dragging home? Your conscience will throw your hand up because you'll pull it down. And see, all I'm asking is, so what are you going to do about it? We're just going to hear one more sermon? Let me ask you another question. Do you ever wonder what's wrong? You ever wonder why things aren't working right? Do you ever think like that? Do you ever ask yourself the question, why aren't things better than that? We don't see all these gifts operating. The healings doesn't happen. People that are sick and there's tongues interpretation and prophecy. and Why is it that we never see all of those things? Why is it that so many people, and I know this is true, seem so weary? Why is it that so many people seem to be so on the edge of just fainting? Why aren't things better than they are? Turn to Psalm 77 and let the psalmist tell you. This is interesting psalm, beginning in verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. Now, let's talk about us and being weary and singing that song. I'm just a poor wave. Okay, verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Well, why would you be troubled thinking about God? 
because you're complaining about why, what's wrong? Why ain't it going? Why would I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I prayed and I didn't get anything. Verse four, thou holdest my eyes quaking, open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Wow. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I recall to memory my song in the night. I remember the good old days and how it used to be. You hear me talk about that a lot. I'm making diligent search with my heart. And my spirit made diligent search. Well, my spirit, what's going on, man, Lord? Oh, God, don't let us shut down our Wednesday night meetings, Lord, because we only want to meet one hour a week. Lord, don't let us do that. Let's don't meet one Wednesday a month. Would that be all right if, if we did that? Why no? Verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? And again, this is our verse here in Kentucky. Is his mercy clean gone forever? Have you ever thought like this? Have any of you in this room out there, have you ever been troubled in your spiritual life because of the lack of seemingly the lack of God doing what he said he would do? That nothing is going well for you? You're just existing in a religious quagmire? The rivers of water have turned into just a swamp. And you cry out to God and there's nothing there. You press in and you get nothing. A lot of people just quit over this. Well, I ain't getting nothing there. I'm going somewhere else because they keep looking for something to do their diligence for them. Verse 8 again, is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promise fail forevermore? Some teach that it has. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? What's going on here? And I said, this is my anguish, my infirmity, my anguish. This is a, not an easy verse apparently to translate from all the different translations. But he said, I will remember the years at the right hand of the Most High. Of the right, I will remember... I will remember my past in the ways of how God did things and what he did. Verse 11, I will remember the words of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. What you see here going on to the end of this chapter is a contrast between being negative and being positive. When you're negative, there's something wrong all the time. Always something wrong. It's just a negative outlook. Your speech is negative. Everything just seems to be without an answer. The psalmist was doing it. He's showing it to us, Psalm 77. And then he finally said, you know what my problem is? I have forgotten. I have forgotten the good things that God showed me once in my life or many times in my life. I look back and I wish it was like that again. But, you know, it got that way because of the way I responded to what he said then. I'm not responding that way now. I'm going to remember the years of the most. I'm going to talk about all of his wondrous ways. He goes on to until the end of this chapter. He's going to do things the way that God wants him to do it. Thy way, O God, verse 13, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God is our God? How many times has he brought us to his sanctuary, his meeting place, and made you glad? He hath made me glad. I might not have come in here glad, but may have been troubled. Problems at home, problems at school, problems with the kid, problems with money, problems with physical healing or something. Just things that I... Well, before you get all wrapped up in all the whys and why nots, just go back and remember what you've been taught. Ponder and talk about these things. Do like David did at Ziklag and strengthen yourself in the Lord and confirm the word that he's put in your heart and remind yourself that you are more than conquerors through Christ, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And the greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Start thinking like that. Whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those are the things that God will give you to think about. And we can get rid of all this dragging around. You can if you want to. 
You don't have to be weary anymore. You don't have to. So what can I do? Let me tell you one verse of what you can do because this is what God told his people they could do. Classic verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people. Are you one of them? I am. Turn the person to beside you and say, I'm one. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves. Admit you're wrong. Bow your head before the almighty and righteous God. And he is altogether right. And when things aren't right, you're altogether wrong. They will humble themselves and pray, he said. And seek my face. We talked about that last week. And turn from their wicked ways. Now, I would not call anybody's way in here wicked. But God would say anything that is not under his guidance and direction would be wicked. Would you agree with that? That a lot of nice people do wicked things. Because they're not things that God gave them to do. It's things that please them, not God. Religion is a good example. The religious system today, Methabadby-Presbycostal system, the way it's designed, the way it's set up, it's a little corporation. It's got a board. It's got rules and bylaws, and it runs by Robert's Rules of Order. I nominate, I second. That's the way it works. They hire a preacher. They put him on a salary, tell him where to live and what to do. You can't find any of it in Scripture, not even that much of it. That's not much. But people do it anyway because it pleases them. Whether it pleases God or not, and if you tell them it doesn't please God, out you go. That's why you're here. You had to leave where you were. And so, God has a way in turning from wickedness. We can learn to be wicked by being lazy. We can learn to be wicked by not being diligent because when you're not diligent, you're not doing what he wants, you're doing what you want. When you're not listening to what he says, you're listening to what yourself says. You're making yourself a little God, kind of like a little idol. You don't walk in his ways. You walk in what seems right to you. Preachers preach it all the time. Follow the preacher. Last days, itching ears, heaping to themselves teachers who give them not God's way but man's way because people like that. That's why they like to worship idols. They like to put statues up and have idols and all these so-called gods because you can talk to them all you want to. They can't talk back. They won't tell you how ugly and nasty you are because they're just stones and sticks. But God will talk to you. That's why you get down. That's why you think, oh, man, every time I go there, I get convicted. And, oh, God, that's why we're here. There's something better for us down the road than what we have found so far. Let me say this in, in closing. When we hear the word, when we read the word, usually we get convicted. When you really read it with diligence, you get convicted because without conviction, nothing will ever happen. You may learn things without conviction. You can memorize the Bible without conviction. You can, as some people, I've read the whole Bible. I've cataloged it, pigeonholed it, categorized it. I can quote it. My theology is pristine. That has never made a man diligent. He's diligent to learn, to gather information, to be scholarly, and to be educated. Praise the Lord. But what good is any of it if you don't live it? And you don't live it because your conviction lies in the fact that you need to read more and study more, not be more. So you don't do what he says. You just read about what he said. And you commend yourself for doing that. Well, the last question I'm going to ask you. I'm not even going to talk. I'm not even going to comment on it. I'm just going to ask you my last question. Will you be diligent? Will I? When it comes to diligence, what's promised, what can be, the potential, the power, the promises in it, nobody can be diligent for you. Nobody can do this for you. So it's up to you. And the question is, will you?
Will you be diligent? Amen. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless your word to your people. Make us to know and to understand what you're saying, and not what I said, but what you say. I thank you, Lord, that we don't make your word true because we read it and study it. It's true whether we read it or not. But the benefits of your word are amazing, O oh God. The benefits. All the things you promised to us. I pray for these people that are here tonight, the ones that couldn't come. I pray that we will have a heart that will be revived. If it's never been revived, I pray that you'll bring new birth to these hearts. But to those of us that have heard and learned, labored through your vineyard in years gone by, that Lord, you will revive us. Make us again lively as unto you so that we enter your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. I ask this to be done in Jesus' name. Amen.